You're going to have a very, very good time. The book that I am teaching from for these four weeks is one that I put together several years ago, first in 2012 and then made a, a revision in 2014. It's Eat This Book, an exploration of how to study the Bible. If you would like this book, we can get it out to you, and you could have it in about three days. Um, if you will go to kqministries.net. It, I uh, recommend that you choose the self-study teacher guide because it has all of the notes in it that I will not have time to teach on the Wednesday nights in our 60 minutes that we have provided to us. So you can go to kqministries.net and click on that and purchase the book. It's a $30 book right from the website. We'll get it out to you tomorrow and you will hopefully have it by the weekend. That way you'll be able to follow along and journal every day with us, take notes with us, do all of the daily things that we ask you to do because it's pretty involved. It's a pretty intense course. So the four weeks that we, and hello, Hannah. Thank you, and we're glad you have been able to join us. She's been working in another part of the building on campus with the children. So we are glad uh, to be able to start tonight with lesson one, which is entitled Prerequisites. The four lessons are prerequisites, number one, and you might be confused as to why I would say prerequisites to studying the Bible, but they are there. And we're going to talk about those tonight. Lesson two is entitled Practices, Preferences, and Props. And that is going to be um, interesting. We are going to touch on just a little bit Bible translations because we believe that the Bible translation that you use does matter. We are going to talk about the list of tools and helps that make Bible study richer and uh, and more meaningful. And we'll also discuss some of the tools that are the most reliable, time-tested, and accurate. Lesson three is entitled Prompts. There are many forms a systematic study of the word may take, and we examine some of the most popular mes- methods and discuss their advantages and disadvantages. And lesson four is entitled Process. You're going to get to see us actually demonstrate how maybe to jumpstart that in your own life. Where to start? There are some basics that many lifelong Christians and lovers of God have never covered. So we explore the gaps that you may have and we offer suggestions for approaching a systematic study. There is probably not one among us who have, who has ever thought, well, I'm glad I've read the Bible all the way through. Has everybody in here done that? Or is there any that has not? Don't, don't be ashamed. Have any of you not read the Bible all the way through? Raise your hand on the platform. Okay. One on here. Two. Okay. All right. That's fine. You're going to find that I'm not out to get everybody to read the Bible all the way through. So not in the first sitting anyway. So there's probably not one of you have ever thought, well, I've read it. Now I know it. I've got it. No, if that thought has ever crossed your mind, you're not just deceived about that point. You're deceived about a lot of other things as well. More than likely, the more common thoughts you have struggled with are, how do I read this book? What is this book? 
Why do I read this book? What do I do with what I read? How do I understand it? And many times, along with the preceding questions, comes intimidation as a result of a lack of knowledge of how to get started, how to proceed, and how to become proficient in a study of the word. Does every one of you up here on the platform want to become more proficient in the study of the word? Yes. Yes. I do too. And the more I study, the more I realize I don't know. And the more I learn, the, real, the more I realize there is to learn. The Bible is an inexhaustible well. You never get to the bottom of it. The Bible, first of all, in your books on page 11, the Bible is not a book to be conquered. The more you study it, the more you realize you don't know, and the more you learn, the more dependent upon him you become. However, with your awareness of your lack of knowledge, comes an increased awareness of how close you are becoming to him. So that's why the scripture that gave this course its name is such an appropriate metaphor for us. We are not instructed just to read this book. We are instructed to eat it. Two times in the scriptures, first in Jeremiah, the second in Revelation, we are instructed to eat the book. Jeremiah 15 and 16 is the scripture that this whole course is built on. And so Jeremiah said, thy words were found and I did eat them. And they were unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart because I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Thy words were found and I did eat them. I ate them. And then in Revelation, the angel gives him the book at the scroll and says, eat this, eat these words, eat this. Why? Why the metaphor of eating? I think that we are going to talk about that probably in depth uh, as we go. We'll make reference to it every single lesson, I'm sure. But when you eat something, it becomes part of you. You metabolize it. It goes into every, the blood carries it to every single cell of your body. You ingest this much poison and you find out how you're going to metabolize it. You'll find out really quickly that it's going to affect every part of your body. So whether you're ingesting good or whether you're ingesting bad, it's going to become, you are going to become whatever it is you eat. I read, and there is in, in your journal entries, you will see a story. I think it's the first day. Uh, years and years ago, I read a book by David Nasser. It was a 40-day journey, uh, uh, devotional called uh, Call to Die. And I actually was teaching young marrieds at the time and took the whole young married class through it. And we all went through it on that 40 days together. But in there, he talked about how he was on a mission in India working at Mother Teresa's uh, clinic. And she had many lepers in this clinic. And um, they would care for them and wipe them and clean them and they had syringes that were very, very tainted. And so at the end of every day, they would gather all the garbage together and they would put it outside the back door. And in all this garbage were scraps of the food that they had fed them. And the people off the street would come and they didn't care about the disease that was in there mixed with all of it. They just would grab the food and he would stand out and he would try to tell them, tell 
This will kill you. This is poison. This is disease. Don't eat this. But their hunger overcame them. And their lack of knowledge of what they were eating overcame them. And many times they ate it to their detriment. We do the same thing. How much have you ingested already this week that is poison to your system? How much have you ingested already to this week that may not be poison, but that's just actual junk food? If you ate a diet of potato chips all the time, you would pretty soon die because you wouldn't have the nutrients that it took to fight off disease. How many of us have had just potato chips all week or just chocolate all week? Are just junk food all week instead of the meat and the potatoes and the vegetables that it takes to nourish our bodies. That's why he said, eat this book. Don't just read this book. Reading is not what this book is about. The goal of this course isn't, yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. If you will, if you will just, yes, turn it on right there. Uh huh. Yes, fifth Jeremiah. 1560. I don't have that exact reference right here, but I will get that because it's back in one of the other lessons and I'll get it for you before the class is done. The goal of this course is not to provide you with the tools to read the Bible. Hopefully an insatiable hunger will be created in you. So you'll begin to eat it. I'm not so much about tools as I am as creating hunger. If you find somebody that hasn't had food for a long time and you sit a plate of food down in front of them, they're not going to sit there and wait for you to tell them how to use the knife and the fork. If they've been without food for a long time, they're going to just dive in. Who cares if they get it on their hands? Who cares if they get it on their face? Who cares if they're not being mannerly? It doesn't matter when you're hungry. And when we're hungry for the word, tools help, and we'll get to that. But the first thing that has to be established is is the hunger. So in order to, to, in my opinion, establish the hunger among us for the word, we have to know what it is. And can I just be a little bit bold and in your face right now and say that most of the time we don't even know what this is? Most of the time, we don't even know. Not really. We think we know, but we don't know. So number one, before you dive in, the first prerequisite is any student of the word must first have faith and believe that the Bible is the infallible, without error, word of God. You must have faith and believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Before you even crack this book open. You have to know that you know that you know that this is the word of God. This is the voice of God. You don't come to the word of God asking him to prove himself to you. 
He doesn't have to prove anything. This word right here is proof enough that he exists. So you have to, first of all, know that you know that you know that this is the word of God. You have to have faith that he is. And if he is, this is. So when you have the faith that he is, you will have the faith that this is, and you will know that you know that you know. Academic studies, and I'm going to be very careful here because I am all about academia. Love it. Hannah just graduated. So proud of her. She didn't get to walk. It's, it's COVID. But so proud of her. Master's in social work. Congratulations to Hannah. I love academia. I went to school for years and years and probably would still be going if I, didn't, if I had nine lives. And I don't have nine lives. I'm already almost through this one. And that's a shame because I hadn't got all the learning that I want to get. But anyway, academic studies, though, do not prove the accuracy of the Bible. Can I say that one more time? And you understand that I respect education and academia. Academic studies do not prove the accuracy of the Bible. The Bible stands on its own merit. No academic theory can prove or disprove the Bible. They may illustrate it, but they will never prove it. Okay? Faith is the most absolute building block of a walk with God. Everything rests on faith. We must believe in him by faith. We must believe in his word by faith. We must accept our salvation through faith. So if we do not have faith that he created all things and that all things function only because of him, we can't go any further. Even the devils have more faith than that. They believe and they tremble. So if we are at least not to that point, we have work to do. We have to strengthen our faith. So the purpose of this study is not to prove or convince anybody that this is the infallible word of God. That's not the purpose of this study. You have to establish that before you come to the study. The second thing, we do not believe... The Bible is allegorical. I'm just telling you where I am, where I'm coming from, so you'll know from the get-go. I'm not out to do a bait and switch on you. I'm not out to, to fool anybody. We don't believe the Bible is allegorical. Because if, if the Bible is allegorical, that would totally change our approach to the Word of God, okay? So we understand that parables are not necessarily true stories. Some of some people and some academics have argued, theologians have argued that some of them were true stories and they very well could have been, but we don't know. But the whole meaning of the word parable is the fact that it's an illustration. So we understand that and we know that much of the poetry and the songs are distinct types of literature and we understand that, but we believe that the historical accounts and the prophecies are literal events that have happened or will happen. We believe they are literal. Everybody on the same page there. Okay. 
So with that in mind, let's talk about this. Let's talk about 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly, thoroughly furnished into all good works. So let's break this down. I know you've heard this before. Let's break it down. The first thing I'm going to say is very, maybe very elementary to some, and it may be revelatory to others. And so it doesn't matter which end of the spectrum you're on, just so you get it. Don't ever define a word from the Bible in Webster's Dictionary. We are English speakers. The Bible, the Old Testament, was written in Hebrew. You don't define a word from the Bible in Webster's because you are defining a word that has only been translated from the original. The New Testament was written in Greek. That's why it's very important. We're going to talk about this in lesson two and in lesson three. It's very important that you go to a lexicon and look up the original word of something that you're trying to figure out what it means, don't go to Webster's. Don't go to whatever dictionary is popular these days. I may be totally behind. It may be somebody I've never heard of. Okay. So instead of saying all scripture is given by inspiration of God and deciding, okay, I know what that means. I'm going to inspire Anita Sargent to do something. And she goes out and she says, Melanie Shock inspired me to do this. What that means is, is I gave her a good idea, right? Many times that's the way we read the scripture. Oh, well, then all scripture is given. So God gave all these guys a good idea and they wrote the books of the Bible. No, that's not the way we define it. Inspiration comes from a Greek word. Theopnustos, which means breathed or to blow. Inspiration means the breath of God. All scripture is given by the breath of God. It was breathed out of his mouth. Now, if God breathed something out of his mouth into the ears of somebody or into the spirit of somebody... They did not write it. They merely took the pen, put it to the paper, and took dictation from that breath that was blowing into their ear. I tend to think that it definitely had sound involved. Because logos, which we're going to talk about at another point, in the beginning was the logos, that's the next, the John 1 and 1, right below that on page 12, the logos actually means a concept. This is, this is very elementary and it's very um, uh, simplistic. It's a simplistic definition for a really complicated concept. But logos means a concept with sound wrapped around it for purposes of our class. So if the breath of God... If God breathed into the ears of his human writers the Logos, then what he did, he breathed these concepts and there was sound involved. He, he dictated to them what to write. 
So it's a may, everybody says, isn't it something that you have 44, over 44 human writers that wrote 66 books and they all harmonized together? No, you didn't have 44 different writers. You had 44 different scribes. People who listened to the voice of God and wrote down the dictation that he said. So whenever we try to interpret scripture based upon the life of somebody who actually put the pen to paper and wrote that scripture, aren't we, isn't that kind of a little crazy? Oh, well, Paul, he couldn't have meant this because, you know, how can he write about being married? He wasn't married. So we can't listen to Paul. He wasn't married. Well, Paul, I used to work for an attorney way back in the dark ages before I ever met my wonderful husband who took me off, swept me off my feet and gave me so much money till I never had to work again. It was a beautiful thing. So... I used to work for an attorney. I'd come in on Monday morning, and he would have been there all weekend dictating, okay? And he would put these little micro cassettes, because it was back in the dark ages. He would put the micro cassettes on the file, and I would come back to sometimes two and three stacks of files on my desk. And I had to put those micro cassettes in that little court little recorder and I had to tap that thing with my foot and I had to listen to his voice and type out every brief, every, every motion, every letter that he had dictated. Now, wouldn't it be something if the judge were to get a brief or get a motion and had my initials somewhere on there and he said, I'm not going to pay any attention to this. That girl don't know what she's talking about. She's never been to law school. She's never had a law course in her life. How dare she write something like this and put this on my desk? He didn't do that because he knew I was only the person who transcribed it. I was only the one who took the dictation and put it out there for him to read. He knew who wrote it. That's what we have to come to this Bible knowing. We have to come to this word knowing who wrote it. Yes, isn't it amazing some of the people that he chose to dictate this to? Isn't it amazing? All kinds of people, when you study about them, all kinds of sinners, all kinds of sinners. And he dictated his words and they are here for us. But it's not about them. It's about him and his words to us. Okay. So, where am I? See, I get all excited about it, and sometimes I just lose my place. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, before anything ever was, it was darkness, and it was a voice. Because John 1 and 1 said, in the beginning, the beginning, before God said, let there be. We're talking about the beginning was the Logos, which we just said was the sound wrapped around the concept Okay, and the Logos, that sound, was with God, and it was God. If you've ever wanted to know what God looked like, he looked like a voice. So what does that look like? That's what he was, what he is. Revelation said that the word is coming back. You look it up. That's a good study for all of you that are trying to figure out how to do this in the Bible. Look it up and 
find word and revelation and there you can find it. Okay, we'll talk about that lesson three. John 1, 14, that logos, instead of having sound wrapped around it, put flesh around it and became Jesus Christ. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So the Logos put on flesh and dwelt among us. So in the Old Testament, we have the Logos, sound wrapped around a concept. In the New Testament, we have flesh wrapped around the sound wrapped around the concept. Okay, now look at this. So... The flesh was resurrected back into heaven, right? Yeah. And he said, you go tear at Jerusalem because I'm going to send my spirit back to you, right? Okay. You following me? Okay. So we're talking about logos. We're talking about word. We're talking about all of this God stuff, the, the let there be thing. Okay. So let's say that you're on... You're there on the Mount of Olives and you're watching him go up. And he says, I'm going to come back and send my spirit. So if he sent his spirit back, did he not send the Logos back? Think about it. If the Old Testament is Logos, the word was God. And the word, the Logos became flesh and that's the son. Okay. So we're talking about the manifestations of the Godhead. So the spirit's going to be Logos too, right? So he says, you go and you tarry, and I'm going to send it back to you. And here's how you're going to know. Whenever it comes back, you're going to open your mouth, and the Logos is going to flow out of you in my language because I am sound. So whenever you spoke in tongues, when you got the Holy Ghost, it wasn't just jabbering. It wasn't just babble. It was the Logos coming out of you, connecting with the eternal voice and sound of God. Think about that. Every time you pray this word, every time you speak this word, every time that you interact with this word, that spirit that is within you is leaping up and it's connecting with it. Why do we say this? This can do anything. Speaking it can do anything. Because we're not speaking our words. We're speaking words of the Spirit. We're speaking words of the Logos. I've got so much more I'd love to say right there. Because there's so much more that is so amazing. But this Bible and our Holy Ghost within us are unstoppable. Unstoppable. Just think about it for a second. We are unstoppable with him, with this. The fill in the blanks on page 12, I'll, I'll get through that, and then, then I'll have to move on, and, but I have a little bit more I want to say right there. The word was all that existed in the beginning. The word became flesh, and his name was Jesus. The word is now available to us in spirit and in written form. That's the other part of Logos. Rhema and Logos. Spirit and written form. The Bible is the voice of Almighty God dictated through the pen of human writers. I just want to say one thing right here. When does sound die? 
when does sound die? Think about it. When does sound die? And I know what scientists say. They say, well, it dies. You know, that's what the sound, that's why it's called the sound barrier. Because when you get into outer space, there's not enough friction for sound to be created. Well, if that's the case, why then are they recording the sounds that the stars make? And the sounds that are coming from all of the... Go go to YouTube and Google, I think it's, I forget the exact title, but it's, I think it's Song of the Stars or Song of the Universe or something. Songs of the Universe, Songs of the Stars. Just Google it. Somebody has taken so many of the different types of sounds that they have recorded from way out in outer space and they've made a song out of it. And it is fascinating. I propose to you that sound does not die. Especially that logos. Especially that divine sound wrapped around that godly concept. Okay. So if that's the case, when he said, let there be, let there be grass, let there be trees, let there be dogs, let there be horses, there were. And his command is still ringing. He said, let there be seas, and there were. And then he said, let there be boundaries, and his voice created the boundaries of the seas. And to this day, the seas cannot cross those boundaries. Why? Because the sound is still ringing. So if the sound that dictated the words to those human writers is still ringing, and I go to pray those words, and I join my voice with his voice, then anything is available to me that is in the word of God. Does this make sense? It's crazy sometimes, and we think, no, it doesn't. It's far beyond. No, the, the mysteries of all this are so far above us, and I love it. Science doesn't prove the Bible at all, but the Bible proves science so many times. So do I believe in science? Absolutely, I do. Only when the Bible proves it. Oh, We've got to move on. I don't have time. Okay, so how much time do I have? I got to hurry. Okay. Number two. Students of the word must be filled with the Holy Ghost to understand the word of God. Well, why do we say that? Well, let's consider what the Bible says. First Corinthians 2, 13 and 14. And actually, that entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 2 is just amazing. 1 Corinthians 2, 13, 14, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Luke 24 and 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. There are things in the word of God that you cannot get and cannot comprehend fully without the Holy Ghost illuminating it to you. 
You do not read the Bible like you would read a John Grisham novel or the newspaper or a magazine or whatever else is out there. You don't read the Bible that way. Just because you can read and understand words does not mean you can understand the Bible and read the Bible. People say, well, I don't read the Bible because I can't understand it. May I propose to you that if that is the problem, then you are not opening up the spirit within you and asking the spirit to illuminate. And if you say, well, I tried and I've tried, well, then let me ask you this. Do you have the spirit? Do you have the spirit? God can choose to reveal to anybody in this world he wants to, okay? So I'm not saying that only people who have the Spirit of God can get revelation. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if you're going to become a student of the Word, you have to have the Spirit of God within you operating. And every time you open this book, then that revelation is coming to you from the Spirit. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to go, yeah, I'll just do this and then I'll go in order. I, I want to move on to that third point, but I'm going to get ahead of myself if I do. And while I am kind of stopped right here, um, let me say, Lynn, Revelation 10, 9 is the, is the scripture you're, you're searching for because that husband who swept me off my feet so that I didn't have to work anymore sent me that scripture. He texted it to me because he's awesome like that. The Jews believe this. They call it the Hebrew hermeneutics. And they believe that the Torah can be understood on four different levels. And it's described like this, Peshat, which is the literal, direct meaning. This is the simple level. This is the level that anybody can look at and understand. Okay? You can read it because it has words that you understand. The second level is remez. And it means an allegorical significance, a hint of something deeper. And that's where the spirit starts to kick in and says, all right now, listen up, pay attention here. There's something here. The third is derash, the homiletical or practical application. And the fourth is sowed or the mystical or the hidden meaning. Now, they only have four. I propose to you that there is no that there is no end to it. Psalm says the riches of Christ are unsearchable and his ways past finding out. We will never get to the bottom of it. The Bible is like an onion and layers are peeled back. And the more layers that are peeled back, the closer you get to the core and the source of that. But you will never get to that over here because here we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face is when we will get to the core of it. But our goal is to keep having the layers of that onion peeled back and peeled back and peeled back as we go. Now here... Here is the secret to that. God does the peeling back of the layers. We do not do that. God does the peeling back of the layers of revelation. Jesus never intended for us to get it on the surface. He never intended that for us. He spoke in parables. And they were hard. And he wouldn't even explain himself to the masses. He waited until the disciples got him alone. And then they'd say, what in the world were you talking about? And he'd say, well, this, this, and this. And then he would say, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. 
In other words, you're going to have to work for it. We're going to study this in another lesson, but Timothy says a workman that needeth not to be ashamed workman right there. Whenever you, whenever you, um, break that term apart, excuse me, workman means a manual laborer, such as a ditch digger. It's hard work. It is hard work working through this word and digging it out. Jesus knew that. He said, he that hath an ear to hear, you let him hear. He who has a will to work, let him work. If he wants to hear me, I'm going to let him hear me. But he's got to want it and he's got to work for it. You can't just be a part of the masses and think that you're going to get this great revelation and that you're going to go on your way and do your thing. No, 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 no. You have to go into that inner circle. You have to let him start peeling back layers of revelation for you to get to the core. Now, here's the kicker on all of that. Number three, on page 14, discovery plus obedience equal revelation. A student of the word must obey truth to receive more truth. Obedience always from Genesis to Revelation precedes revelation. Obedience always precedes it. If he would tell somebody to do something and they wouldn't do it, that's as far as it got. But if he told somebody to do something and they did it, then he would peel back that one of those layers and it would be, oh, wow, I get it. But obedience has to precede revelation. And you said, well, prove that to me. Okay, I will. John 7, 16, 17. And the way we prove thing is to prove anything is through scripture. The Bible proves itself. You don't have to have an outside source to prove the Bible. Okay? Always remember that. John 7, 16, 17. 16. My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. 17. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. If you will do, then you will know. Proverbs 16, 3. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Commit your works, and then he will establish your thoughts. He'll peel back another layer of that onion. Psalm 119 and 18. You have to open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law, because I don't have enough in me on my own to understand this. Mark 4, 24, and he said unto them, take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. When you obey and I peel back another layer and you say, yes, I'm going to do this, then I'll give you some more, but I'm not giving you any more till you've heard my first words, till you've heard what I said this time. Make sense? So, there's a major principle set forth in this passage. Truth that is obeyed results in more truth. I have heard people say, well, when the Lord reveals it to me, that's when I'll do it. They may be here for a long time. Because his word says you have to do it in the opposite order. You have to do it and then he'll reveal it to you. You do it, and he'll say why. I've also heard people say, I don't understand why they can't see it. It's right there in black and white. You may have said it yourself. It's right there. Well, is the problem that we are trying to reveal it to them? 
instead of allowing the Holy Ghost to reveal, I would like to just propose right here that we can't reveal anything to anybody. We can point them to the place and we can say, now you have to take it from here. You have to dig down. You have to pray it. You have to say, okay, I'm going to obey it. And then, God, you're going to have to show me and peel it back. You can't peel back another layer of somebody else's onion. Only them and God can do that. We can show them where it is. But everybody has to stand before judgment alone. And they have to get their revelations from the word alone. Second Timothy 2 and 7, consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. That's the way Timothy, or Paul was telling Timothy to do it. Here, here, this is, this is what I think right here. Consider what I say, and then the Lord will give you understanding. That's as, only the, as far as we can go with someone else. That's as only as far as, as somebody else can go with us. They can point us to the place and say, now consider what I say, but you've got to take it to God. It's you and God. That's why that I have waited until this point right here to pray. Don't ever approach the word of God without asking God to reveal to you. Ever. Don't ever open the word of God without Ask out loud, praying a prayer, a covering of revelation over his word as you begin to read it. On the back of the bookmark that was in your book is a prayer that I wrote. You don't have to pray it like this. You can write your own. But I would like for us to pray it right now over the rest of this. And I would like for you to feel the power that will come into this room as we all pray this together. Because first of all, we're going to thank him. For the opportunity to even have his word in front of us. And then we're going to tell him that we don't have it all together. But that with his help, we will pursue holiness and righteousness in the study of his word. So, dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness, for your kindness toward me. Your mercy, God, and even allowing me to be in this place with these people here tonight. As I open the pages of your words to me, God, I ask that you speak to me. Open my eyes to see. Open my ears to hear. Give understanding to my mind. Fill my heart with your love, Lord, my soul with your peace. Reveal to me what you would have me know and understand from this Logos, this living word this day. I will accept it. I will embrace it, and I will obey your words to me, Lord. I give you praise and I give you thanksgiving for allowing such intimate communion with you. And everybody said amen. Amen. I pray it every morning of my life. I pray that prayer. I pray that prayer every morning. You don't have to say those words. It's the thoughts I'm trying to tell you. Don't ever open the Bible without asking him for revelation to reveal himself to you. Number four. When we, when we read the word every day, really does make a difference. 
it matters. I'm not going to tell you when that is. I'm going to just read the following scriptures. And then I'm going to ask you if you don't mind telling me when that is. Psalm 108 and 2. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. Psalm 143 and 8. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Mark 135. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. There he prayed. Isaiah 50 and 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Psalm 5 and 3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and look up. Psalm fifty-five, seventeen: evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice in Psalm 57 and 8. Awake up, my glory, awake, psaltery and harp, I myself will awake early. Psalm 88 and 13, but unto thee have I cried, O Lord, in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Psalm 91, 1 and 2, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. When did the scriptures say is the best time for us to approach the throne with the word of God in the morning how in the world did you guys come up with that in the morning and you say how can I do that I am not a morning person I already get up at four o'clock in the morning what am I going to do Early is not a time, in my opinion. In my opinion, early means first. So whatever we ingest into our spirits first in the day will be the filter through which everything else passes. I believe that if you allow the word of God to be your filter first thing in every day, your whole day will be different. It doesn't matter what happens, what what you run into, what circumstances you are involved in. If you allow the word of God to be your first filter of the day, it's going to affect your whole day. If you wake up and you grab your phone and you look at the text that you have, your day is going to be run through the filter of relationships. If you look up, wake up and you grab your phone and you look at your email, on your phone, your day is going to run through the context of duty. If you wake up and you get to Facebook, you're going to be mad all day long. (laughs) That hit home. I could tell. That touched a nerve. If you wake up and you look at the weather, you're going to be thinking of outside influences on you all day long. But if you wake up, And you let that logos, that divinely breathed word of God, be the first thing that comes into your spirit. That's why you should not put things in your Bible. They'll get all over the floor. If you let that be the first thing that comes into your spirit, all day long, things are going to run through the filter of that word. Everything that comes at you. It's going to come through the filter of that Logos, that divinely breathed word of God. It's our choice. 
It's our choice. I tell this story a lot. You've probably heard me tell it here because I think I tell it in just about everything we do. But it, it, made, it had such an effect on me. And it changed my life when I started doing it. Sister Nona Freeman, powerful missionaries to Africa, uh, came through when I was 14 years old. Actually, the night she preached this was the night that, that I gave my life to God and told him I'd do anything he wanted me to do. I was 14 years old. That's why when I see that age in the altar pouring out their heart, something just wells up in me because I know what happened to me. And it changed the entire trajectory of my life at age 14. But she taught that night. She said she was still a missionary at the time. They were still in Africa at that time. And she said, I am a night person. I do not like to get up early in the morning. And she had five children. She said, and I have to get up early in the morning to get my kids off and get them going. And she said, and inevitably, my busiest days, she said, I will sleep until the last minute. I'll get up and I'll rush into my day. And she said, here I am a missionary. I'm supposed to be doing the work of God. And I don't even have time to talk to him until that night, until I'm ready to go to bed. And then I'm so tired. It's like, God, I am so tired. I would love to talk to you, but I just can't keep my eyes open. And she said, and so I find myself running on empty. And she said, and I would complain to the Lord about it. She said, and One night, I got so frustrated with my own self, and I said, God, if you will wake me up 15 minutes before my alarm goes off and before I'm supposed to get up, every morning, I promise you, I'll give you that 15 minutes. And she said, so she wanted to test the Lord, and she set her alarm for the time she needed to get up in the morning, and exactly 15 minutes before it was to go off, her eyes popped open, and she was wide awake. And she said, and I did it. I gave it to God. She said, from that day until this, it's never failed that God has woke me up 15 minutes before I was to get up and start my day. I didn't pray that prayer right then. I was 14. Give me a break. Just a little break. I was 14. But it wasn't too many years after that until life started hitting me in the face and I realized I needed God way worse than my little 14-year-old mind had ever comprehended. And I prayed that prayer, and I promise you, he does it. When you pray that prayer, he will do it. We have a practice in our home. We don't talk to each other. We don't text. We don't look at any screen. We look at no book. We look at nothing until we have at least read some verses from the Word of God in the morning. It has to be the filter through which everything passes. Eugene Peterson says this. Reading is an immense gift. I love Eugene Peterson. We're going to talk about him next week. Uh, He's the one who did the message. The message is not a Bible, and we're going to talk about that. It's not even a translation. It's a great book, and we're going to talk about where it came from. But it's not a Bible. But I do love the way that Eugene Peterson writes. He just passed away. I think last year, year before last. Reading is an immense gift, but only if the words are assimilated and taken into the soul. Eaten, chewed, gnawed, received in unhurried delight. Words of men and women long dead are separated by miles or years come off the page and enter our lives freshly and precisely conveying truth and beauty and goodness, words that God's Spirit has used and uses to breathe life into our souls. 
Our access to reality deepens into past centuries and spreads across continents. But this reading, which is what so many of us do with this precious book, is just read it. This reading carries with it subtle dangers. Passionate words of men and women spoken in ecstasy or in this case received in dictation in ecstasy and delight can end up flattened on the page and dissected with an impersonal eye. Wild words wrung out of excruciating suffering can be skinned and stuffed, mounted and labeled as museum specimens. Oh God, how often have we done that with the words in this book? The danger in all reading is that the words be twisted into propaganda or reduced to information, mere tools and data. We silence the living voice and reduce words to what we can use for convenience and profit. That's not eating. That's not eating. That's not eating the book. He wrote a book called A Conversation and Eat This Book, A Conversation in the Art of Spiritual Reading. He was talking about reading spiritual books. I'm talking about reading the book. So the prerequisite to reading and eating and studying the Bible is, first of all, having an awe of what this is, having a wonder of what this is, having a conviction that this is straight from the mouth of God, having a conviction that there are no errors and there are no contradictions within the pages of this book. That's the prerequisite. That's what you have to build on. There's a whole lot to hunger. There's a whole lot to eating the word. But that is the foundation right there. Knowing that you know, that you know, that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he spoke these words out of his mouth. Forty-four writers took dictation and they put them together in a cohesive volume for us. It is the voice of God. So, for 21 days... I'm going to ask you to commit to being a workman with this. And I know many, I know you're busy. I know you have lives. I know that. So you don't have to spend all of your time right there at it. But I do think that I would like for you to try to let it be like um, metabolized in your brain all day long, you know, to where it just kind of runs through your brain all day. The first thing that you're going to do is you're going to go to the book of Jude, which is the little book right before the book of Revelation. And so you're going to approach all this as you would if you were a child. There are no big eyes and little U's in the kingdom. There are no big eyes and little U's in Bible study. Mark 10:15, Jesus said, whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter. So whatever you have learned, try to throw it out the window. 
Approach this as a little child the next 21 days. And so as a little child, I want you to go to the book of Jude, which is the book right before Revelation. It's only one chapter. So here's what I want you to do. This is in the middle of page 17. Read the book of Jude in the King James, the KJV, please. And we'll talk about that next week. Why? Every day. Don't look it up in any other version and don't research any questions you may have in any concordance or Bible helps. I'm not after the answers. Not after the answers. We're after the questions, okay? Write them. And I have a place for you to do that. I have a place for you to do that here on page 17. Uh, and I believe page 18. Let me turn over to that. Yes, all the whole page 18. Write them in your book. Don't put it on a computer. Don't put it on another piece of paper. Write it here in the book because we want to have everything right here in this one book. After reading, go back through and list. Okay, I just said that. Okay. Don't attempt to answer your questions. Now, every day you're going to read Jude and do this. And you say, well, can I do it in the first day? Just try it. See what happens. Go back the second day and see if you find any more questions. The third day, see if you find any more questions. The fourth day, see if you find any more questions. The secret to effective Bible study is learning how to ask questions of the text. So you're going to find the more questions that you have, the more they're going to breed other questions. And you're going to write these right here on 17 and 18. Okay? Then every day, I want you to read the chapter in the Bible in Proverbs that corresponds to that day's date. Today is the 28th. Am I right? So tomorrow, you're going to read chapter 29 in the book of Proverbs. Now, if you already do that, great. If you don't do that and you've done it before and you don't do it anymore, that's fine too. I'm just asking if you will do that for the duration, for the 21 days of this study. So whatever the day's date is, you read that chapter in the book of Proverbs. Okay, don't take shortcuts in your, uh, don't take shortcuts in your questions and in your study. Now, on page 19, you will see, During the 21 days, make the sacrifice to try. I'm asking you to try this. It's not going to be a test. I'm not going to embarrass you in front of anybody and see who did and who didn't do it. But please try to make the sacrifice to get up at least 30 minutes before your normal time in the morning. Begin by reading that chapter of Proverbs. I also like to read a chapter from Psalms. I have found in my personal life that every morning when I read a chapter in Psalms, usually... It gives me strength for what I'm going to face that day that I, have not, that I don't even know that I'm going to face yet. It's just amazing how God does that through his word. So, then we have journal entries for five days, day one through five. They start on page 21. Write any insights from the book of Proverbs that you get and insights from the Psalms. Then I give a little devotion there. The, the one on that first day is the David Nasser story that I told you earlier. And then I just give you some questions and some prayers to pray. And I just ask that you do that without intimidation as a little child. Write any thoughts you have. And then when you come back next week... We're going to take about five minutes and share anything that may have happened to you in this time 
during the day. Because what you're going to find is, is that God is going to, especially when you start writing, there's something about putting a pen and a pencil to a piece of paper that is just revolutionary in your soul and in your spirit. And God is going to start speaking to you. And you say, well, can't he speak if I don't write it down? Yes, he can. Yes, he absolutely can. But here's what I have found when you write. If God says something to you and you write it down, Tomorrow, when he says something else to you, you're going to go back, you're going to write that, and then you're going to say, oh, my goodness, look how that fits with that. Well, at the end of five days, if you haven't written anything down, you're just going to remember what he told you that morning. But if you've written it down, you're going to go back for that whole five days, and you're going to watch that thread be woven throughout what he is impressing upon your spirit. So much, so many of our problems and so much of what we deal with day to day could be handled if we gave God a chance in the morning and would write down what he's speaking to us from his word. And you say, well, how do I do that? When you read a scripture, okay, I'm going to just, just pull one out of the air right here. Okay. Psalm eighty-nine twenty. It was just opened. I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil have I anointed him. I would stop. I can tell this is what I've done before because of what I have circled and what I have underlined. I have the word found circled. I have found David, my servant. God was looking for him. And I remember the day that, that I just really worked that over. And so if I were t- doing a journal right now this morning, I would put, God was looking for David. He found David. God is looking for me. And then I have my holy oil underlined. With my holy oil have I anointed him. And I went back to a study that I had done on the, on, on the anointing oil and the ingredients of the anointing oil that I did years ago. And all of the ingredients of the anointing oil involve crushing. And so I don't know what I actually wrote with that scripture on that day. But if it were today, I would say, I feel like I am abandoned and I'm being crushed. But God has found me. That's what I would write today. So that's, what, that's an example of every scripture will speak to you. Every passage will speak to you if you stop and you let it. That's why whenever I said, how many of you have read the Bible through? And that's not our goal. If you stay on one scripture in a morning, if you read Proverbs 29 tomorrow and, and you only get one verse, but it speaks to you, it speaks to your soul like that, then you have communed with the word of God. You have eat it. That's what it means. Don't, it's not a checkoff list. It's not a competition. It's not a program. It's designed to be eaten and ingested. Amen? We're out of time. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you had let us participate in your voice, in your logos, in the fact that the word that spoke, let there be into creation, God, you have allowed us to have in our spirits through the power of the Holy Ghost. And when we speak your language, we join with your voice. Thank you, God, for that. Keep us until we come back together again on this Lord's Day. And thank you for the privilege that we have of studying your word together. In Jesus' name, amen.